Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Off Point at 30. This is the show where um, we talk about uh, being 30 and how it is to go off point in life and typically off point in topic. Uh, my name's Les Steed. This is Marlon White. And um, today we're, talk- we're answering a little um, a question that was put to us by a young man. Um, I think he might have been one of my old students, actually. No, he's um, Stephen Smith. Definitely not one of my students. Yeah, he's a young 20-year-old and he kind of wants to know what we would have told ourselves 10 years ago when we were both 20. And to be honest with you, it was more interesting than what we had planned. On that note, with um, him getting in contact with us, if anybody else wants to get in contact and recommend any topics that they want to hear us talk about, just send us a, a message on Instagram like Stephen Smith did. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really nice. Um, okay, so today, um, okay, so we've we had a little think about things, and um, the first topic that we'd like to do is education. So, uh, Marlon, would you like to go first? So, um, before we get into that, let's just have a quick recap of where we were r- roughly May twenty ten, like before we when we were twenty. So, let's um, do you want to start with where you were like ten years ago and what May you were doing? 20. See my first job. Uh, I had I got I got a job when I was in uh, as soon as I got out of uni, which was um, so not May twenty twenty, so May um, twenty ten. Twenty ten, yeah. So I, be- I think I just graduated this time ten years ago. Uh, actually, no, wait, no, I just got my cap. So yeah, I was I was I was just I was just in my third year. I just finished up, and I was sent over, and I was going over to America. I had a lovely time there. Unfortunately, I was fired because my ADHD does not go well with a Republican mindset. Um, also because I thought that I felt a lot younger than I actually was. So in my brain, in my head, I was like still a bit of a big kid. Whereas I think in um, reality, obviously you're seeing a 21 year old man acting like a big kid. And mm. I think that that actually is one of the first things um, is that um, I always, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I always find that that transition between being 15 and 25 quite difficult because one minute you're being treated like a boy and you are a boy and then the next minute everyone's like but I you're a man and it, it's a very blurry line because no one you know I mean physically you're changing but you're always changing so you never yeah. really see that change it's like yeah. watching your own beard grow um until you see yourself on a podcast about two weeks later and realize holy shit that thing's thick so for me 10 years ago I think I was actually doing my a-levels this is, um, yeah, I think I've pre- preparing for my A-level. So this is before I actually went to university. I was kind of in, I was living in Bromley with my mom in a one-bedroom flat, preparing for to do my, um, yeah, my A-levels, going through that. So that's where I was 10 years ago. Um, just, okay, so um, the next thing we're going to say is um, that what happened over the next, over those 10 years is something, obviously, that's, you know, reshaped both of us and turned us into, you know, the men you see today. Yeah. Um, fine, fine men who create podcasts because they didn't have a job. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, what I would like to also note is that those 10 years ago so super fast. So. Yeah, but they're really fun. Um, yeah. So the first thing, I mean, what happened to me was um, obviously because of the way my brain works, because I was undiagnosed with ADHD. Um, I had a lot of trouble actually growing up because uh, going through that period because Firstly, I came from a very abusive relationship that was psychologically a complete mess. Um, my entire world collapsed. My grandmother died, who was a fantastic person. Uh, I lost my first job um, after nine months. There. It turns out I'm not an insurance broker. Uh, claims management specialist, actually. Not very good at that. Very, very good at researching people on Instagram and all the rest of it, though, which um, actually led to my current career. 
uh, or at least one of those skills that I actually still use, which was fantastic. Um, I don't mm. regret any job that I've ever ended up having to lose um, mm. or leave. Um, but I mean, again, I mean, for me, it was very difficult and it's been a very long journey of trying to figure out why people keep thinking I'm weird. And when you don't have any guidance, that's very difficult. And I think that that lack of guidance when you come out of university is the major, major thing. Um, because people just say, oh yeah, you're going to have a job the whole, your whole life. And then you get to 21 and people are just like, go. And it's the same world. And you're not just given a job. It's just the same world um, for the most part. And they're like, oh, well, what do you want to do for a job? And I had no clue. And I still didn't mm. until I was about 25. And, and that took me across the world to just figure it out. Um, so, so, sorry. Um, so age, age 23, I um, did a CELTA. And then I went to Indonesia, where I had possibly the best three years of my life. I then went to university again, doing master's. Then I went through the sort of process of having a job. And when I was, well, first job in journalism, when I was what, like 27, 28, and then um, did a year and a half there, left there, went for nine months as a, a freelancer. And to be honest with you, didn't really have a job and that that's a killer. Mm. Um, that really hurts, that sucks. And now, um, then I was lucky enough to get picked up by the type of boat that I work at. And now I'm actually quite happy. I really love my job. Um, mm. Marlon, what about you? How's your last, you know, give us a quick summary of the last 10 years. So um, as, as I mentioned, I went. I was doing my A level ten years ago. So I I did that somehow. Not somehow. I did. I passed. Got into Kiel University, which I was over the moon about. Really got into uni at age twenty. Stayed there until about twenty three, where I kind of now finished and I'm like, oh, what do I do now? Sort of thing. So twenty three, trying to get myself a job. So I I um. I signed on first of all, and because I was under 25 at the time, you had to do a placement to get your sign-on money, which was about 56 pound a week. They made me do a couple of volunteer of projects, really working in a youth club, working in a charity shop. So I worked in like a youth club for about five months, worked in a charity shop for a couple of weeks. From the charity shop, I did a internship, a recruitment company. Found that I'm, I don't really have the personality to work in recruitment because I'm not that hyper personality that you need to be like almost like mm. you're bouncing around on drugs that like, that's not my personality yeah. but then um just got a random call about from this um small college private college um asking me to interview like the next day i've never heard of them didn't even know what the job was about but they're like we got a job we got a job coming up and we want you to come to a group interview so yeah i went to the group interview and somehow got the job which I ended up working in this place for two and a half years, which I absolutely hated every moment of working really? there. Yeah, it's an absolute awful job. Yeah, I worked there for a couple of years and then I ended up moving. I kind of got tricked out of that job almost actually because um, I got told about another job going and um, the recruiter, you know how like recruiters call you up and they tell you about that yeah. job going up. They kind of told me about this job at a school, so I um, went for the job, and it turned out that it wasn't a permanent job. But what they told me it turned out to be a, a um, temp job. But I was like so kind of desperate to leave that place I was, so I ended up um, taking that job. And then it turned out like a week later that yeah, <laughs> it was really temporary. But um, yeah, they, managed, they allowed me to stay on for about three, four more weeks, and then I ended up managed to get a better job. Did you not bring it up in the interview though? Yeah, I did bring it up, but they kind of told me, yeah, it's a temp job and um, you have the opportunity to go for the permanent job. That's bullshit. 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's what, did they pay you? Yeah. yeah, I got paid, yeah. I did that, ended up moving to another private college, which was a bit better. Stayed there for another two years, and then I moved to, I'm going to name the, the places I work at, but I moved to a um, public university, a top, a top university, actually, in, the, in cool. London. Hate, hated that also. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> it, was it was one of those jobs where there was nothing to do, so you just sit around all day, but get paid. I, hate, I can't do that. Yeah, you just get bored. It, it, was, it was nothing wrong with the job. The, the company, the, 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 the job, the perfectly good job. People, a lot of people worked there, the top top university in London. It's just my role was boring. I had nothing to do. So that's why I left that job. And then I ended up working for probably the best university in um, London, which I'm also yeah. not going to name, but you probably can work it out. Yeah, so that Heavily involved in coronavirus research yeah. is what he's trying to say. Um, <laughs> you're right under the bus there, you can't. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a vaccine first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. yeah, in, like, in December, you're like, you know what, actually, maybe the tube isn't for me. Y'all are fools. It's like your man Barry just giving you the little nudge, nudge, being like, oh, look, just what I'm saying is, don't visit your nan. <laughs> oh god anyway so yeah. alright so first things first with uh, education so I'm going to rattle off the list real quick and then we'll go so um, the first thing I would have done is I would have taken history for an A level I was uh, really talented at it I still am interested in it I love history um, and I got one of the best marks in the country for my mock exam as a, in GCSE I don't know why that stayed with me but my greatest regret has been uh, not taking history and instead what I did was I went for chemistry and physics which are two of my weakest subjects because I wanted to be a doctor because I liked Nip Tuck, uh, mm. which is like a surgery series. And I was all I got yeah, in the drama it. and I wanted to see scrubs. There's a theme running here, which is why I'm now with a doctor. Because um, <laughs> they're cool. It's cool. It's really cool. Um, but I think, um, firstly, that was, that's always been my greatest regret academically and also career-wise, I think. Secondly, um, it the second, yeah, and I think that the, the thing from that is that you need to remember that you need to go for things that you're good at, um, not just stuff that's fun and not just stuff that's um, what you think, what you want to be good at. Uh, you have to sort of recognize that maybe you were having a bad day, but also you probably weren't having a bad day if your general score is reasonably low. Mm. Um, and the whole like education stuff, you get pushed through it and you feel like all that pressure. But the reality is that actually it's not about finding you finding a job it's about you finding the right job that makes you happy or you finding a life and something that you can do that makes you feel the, the reward that comes from being good at it and then the money and all the other shit will come with it hopefully or your industry will suffocate like mine does um literally ash in your hands um <laughs> it would have been nice to have had an earlier diagnosis about adhd um because um, the, the little pills that I've got at the moment um, would have definitely saved my job like 50, like, you know, like would have definitely saved me quite a few times. Um, mm. Also having that diagnosis would have helped me when, um, when people like your attention to detail is bollocks, when actually my intelligence is there, the, the willingness is there, um, the energy is definitely there. Um, and it just needed a little bit of sort of a bit of help just trying to settle down. But also um, the other thing with, and I think we, I'm actually going to career there, but um, the other thing is that, yeah, and I think I think I would have done better at school, um, even though I did all right. I did quite well. I, I studied hard. I worked hard. Um, I learned to touch type early as well, which helped. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah finally, um, 
it's the I wish I hadn't had such an emphasis on um, on on girls and trying to be pop not, not popular but trying to fit in and all the social hierarchy mm. and stuff. Um, I I think it took me a very very long time to even understand the concept that there was no sort of hierarchy really. It was just a question of who you get on with and then just mm. getting on with them. And it doesn't matter if they're a geek or if they are um, a cool kid. And I'd find myself intimidated often by the cool kids because in my head they were the cool kids, but actually they're just people. They're just like, you know, I mean, most of them are probably wankers, but a lot of them aren't. I mean, most of them are nice people, but they are just people. Um, and it doesn't matter if they're the hottest girl in school or whatever, you know, I mean, if they like you for who you are, it's great. And it's nice to talk to them. And if you can just sort of reduce that anxiety around some sort of imaginary hierarchy, then, um, then you can really, you know, just be happy. And that's what makes a cool kid cool. Um, is the ability to be comfortable around everyone and be liked by everyone because you like everyone that you like. And also, mm. it's okay to not like people. Um, you know, you don't have to get on with everyone. You don't have to take get people's shit. And you, don't, and you should never be intimidated by somebody just because exactly. they think you're a soft spot. Because, I mean, yeah. those people want to, well, A, it's perfectly fine to punch them in the face. Like, I'd never regretted punching somebody in the face that I did. I think I've punched about six people in my life. Not to say I'm a big hard man, but, you know, like, and I think that was because there was like a build up, build up, build up, build up. And then somebody's like just just been taking the piss a bit too much. It's, it's okay to be a bit of a joke, but if someone feels that they can take the piss out of you consistently, then you need to draw that line and you need to make it very, very clear mm. that that line exists and you need to make a fucking example. Um, but I don't think the bullying's good. I don't think you should. And I think that, you know, personally, I was bullied quite a lot. Um, not necessarily at secondary school, but definitely at primary school. Um, mm. yeah. But it's okay to be weird as well. I never met anybody who was weird that I, I didn't think- like. I think where people, the people that you remember, people that are more interested, and I think a lot of um, people that make it big, are, like the celebrities, are all weird. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why people like them, because they're yeah. weird and interesting. It's like people, mm-hmm. the celebrities that are not really interesting or have just a normal person, people don't really talk about or care about after a while. After you're done, after you're done listening to their music or watching them in a show, you like you don't give a shit about them, and they can't, they kind of fade away after a while. But it's, it's always the ones that stand out because of their weirdness that the people are kind of attracted to but you don't have to have a sob story to be sort of no, you don't. an interesting person i think that having a sob story i feel like britain's got talent and, and things like that they really have overdone that yeah um to the extent that it becomes just another sob story i think it's okay to be odd it's okay to be a bit dramatic yeah. and but i mean don't don't just do drama for drama's sake it's exhausting uh, and also stand up shows yeah, on that topic as well, um, I think we're probably going to act saying segue into relationships. Because um, yeah. interpersonal relationships, not just romantic ones. Um, so feel- before, we, before we go like segue into anything else, but um, you said you, cho- you would have chose history. What, a- what A-levels did you choose? Uh, I did German, because I speak German fluently. Um, I did uh, chemistry, which I got an E in, which was not great. Um, I got... <laughs> I can't remember if I put that down as a D actually in my, uh, on my, I don't think I was looking at my, my A-levels anymore. I've got three degrees, fuck them. Back 10 years ago, A-levels seemed like an important deal. You worked so hard for them. You spent your two years of your life working for them. And now they've been deleted from my CV and like nobody okay. gives a shit about them. Yeah, nobody cares. Okay. I, I just write a line that says, I have A-levels in blah, 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 blah. And no one's ever, yeah, no one's going to ask for them. Nobody cares. They, they I bet it's a McDonald's job that asks for that. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. where, they, where they're basically stuck in their own dicks with the interview. What A-levels did you say you did? Um, chemistry, physics, and German. 
Yeah. And in German, I, I was cocky because I speak it well, but I can't write it. So I ended up, um, this is, I'm going to regret that if I end up having a job interview, I have to flag that one. Um, like, but I, I, it was really weird. There was this girl in my class who, um, who didn't speak a word. She was basically mute. She got a B and I got a fucking C. And I, I just, what the fuck? Like, yeah. you know, like me and this other girl, the two of us were, were really, there was four of us in the class. Two of us were the most competent and the other two were really, really quiet, probably because we overshadowed them. And it was just so stupid because it's like, you know, I mean, like we, I can use German conversationally anywhere at any time. Like, you know, bang, 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 bang. Mm. It comes out like English, but um, well, shit English, but yeah. Um, but like, it's so, it just doesn't necessarily indicate your ability, but that mm. isn't an excuse to be lazy. It's not an excuse to be like, oh, well, I'm better than that anyway. Because people are going to look at that bit of paper first. Yeah. It's the kind of proof of what you can do. Also, I think that's another thing um, in terms of education that you learn like 10 years later. Oh, I, I learned that quite, quite soon after university that what the qualifications that we work so hard for is um, not really worth the paper it's printed on anybody like a piece of piss going to university that get a degree of some, of some sort. And there's a lot of degrees that are not really employable. It just sounds good that I'm a student and I'm, I'm going to university, but it doesn't really lead to anything. You end up having to do stuff that's not related to anything you studied. Yeah, um, and like the money that they're charging for university yeah. degrees now isn't necessarily worth it either. And yeah. it's, I mean, I wish I'd done business. I actually do wish that I'd looked at it, gone into, gone and looked at business because it's not yeah. actually about business, it's about setting up a business. And yeah. those are the guys that make the money. And I think that what else you do around that. To go into myself, I, I, I did, um, I did a BTEC national in the business studies and I did a A level in film studies and I did the AS level in media throughout before I went to uni. In terms of what you're saying about you wish you did business, I did a lot of business. I don't think, I think doing it at A level is good, but doing a degree in it, I'm not really certain. I don't really think it's necessary to do a degree in um in business studies because I think like if you're really into setting up a business, that's something you can do yourself. You can get yeah. into that and kind of do your research yourself. The, the internet's just there. A lot of this stuff is better to do and then kind of picking up the qualification afterwards, really, or why mm. you're doing it. I don't. I don't think. Sometimes just going, people, we, we, we leave school and just go into another form of education just because we don't know what we're doing. And then we end up just wasting three, four years doing yeah. a degree and you kind of don't, you don't even show what you want to do. And it's sort of like, yeah, you're going to do, I think business, the business study is a bit of a generic um, subject. It's a bit of like a bit of one of those subjects where it's like, okay, business studies. Yeah. What are you going to do? It's not like you're going to take your business degree and go to somebody's company and they're going to put you in charge of their company. You still no. have to. You still have to know what you want to do, kind of work your way up. You start from the bottom of everywhere, everybody else. Well, you don't actually. I mean, the idea behind having a degree is you start somewhere in the middle, but that's bollocks. I don't, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. And without the experience, then you're nobody anyway. I mean, I've seen people email in being like, I have a master's degree in um, finance studies. Okay. So do you have any experience? No. No. Then you move on. Right. So I told you um, that I worked in a recruitment company for a few weeks, and um, mm. I didn't I, I didn't do any recruitment myself. But my job in, in that company was to go through the, uh, the recruitment websites and find mm. go through people's CVs, and then they'll give me like a job description and for energy for energy companies like British Gas, 
um, EDF and all that, what had like jobs going. So it was my job to find candidates for these for these companies. So I'll just go through online and find p- people. And um, when I go through the CV, I spend like two seconds looking at the person's degree, yeah. help that like, care. So I go through like, oh, you got de- it's just a tick tick box exercise. Oh, they got a degree, but work works in Subway. Next one, you got a degree, works in Argos. Next one. But if I if I come across somebody that has a degree and works in a comp like a similar field to what I'm looking for, I'm like, okay, this is a good person. Put them forward. Yeah, but the thing is, you're going to do that. Anyway. It, it's a question. Get. I think that kind of brings on to the next bit, which is career, and which is that getting that first step takes at least six months. And like anything yeah. that's remotely in with what you want, um, it needs to be six months. And that's once you've got an accurate idea of what you'd be happy yeah. doing for the next yeah. two or three years. It's not about and, and don't think too far ahead either, because these days, I think that one of the differences between what we were taught when we were younger um, was that our parents will go through a traditional career path of, you know, like my dad, for example, became an engineer, qualified as an engineer eventually, mm-hmm. um, went into electrical engineering and grew through that in a very secure and stable working yeah. environment where he had, you know, trials and tribulations with his bosses. He didn't like all of his, all the people he worked with, which is again, yeah. fine. You know, like every office has got a knobhead in the same way every schoolyard's got a knobhead, but the whole thing is just one big schoolyard as well. Yeah. Um, so it does take a little while. And also when you leave a job, you definitely, one of the things I've never regretted was that I, last time I uh, got fired, uh, well, not got fired, I, I had to leave a job. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I'm using the word had to because there was no other, I, I was just, I mean, it's not normal mm. to be crying before going to work when you're almost 30. It's, it's not normal. To try to cut you there quickly, I think that's a quite kind of, of experience a lot of people have but don't talk about, to be honest. I've, 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 I bumped to go to an old friend of mine and he's, um, he's a postman. And he told me that like, he's cried over his job before. And I think a lot of people have had that. I, I haven't physically cried, actually, have I cried? No, I haven't physically cried over a job, but I, I, have, I have, I have, that's the thing, I have, I've, I've, I've felt like waking up, when I've woken up in the morning, like just that sinking feeling of, of I hate this job so much and I, just, I can't stand it here. And I, 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 yeah. I'm just, in the morning, I'm in such a bad mood and I, I've had that before. And I think that's such a common experience, especially um, now where, we, we all go into this edu- going to education, do a degree, and you've come out. And you, you realize you can't do. It. You're the same as everybody else. This is not a magic. Well, you can promise this sort of leap yeah. forward, but it's not really exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and it's not this. It's not this magical piece of paper because that's what I was almost. Cause I struggled to get jobs before uni, and I mm. thought, okay, now I'm gonna get, I've got myself a degree. Oh, I'll get myself a degree now. All these jobs are just gonna open the door and be like, come in, sir. We want. We, we, we're looking for you, and I thought that that was gonna be the case. But it's not, it's not a magical piece of paper that lets you in. And I think when you leave university, a lot of people struggle and a lot of people cry. A lot of people break down. A lot of people can't ha- hack it. I felt close to the edge before and I'm just like, I can't stand this. And it's just, yeah. yeah. I, for me, it's um, one of the problems that I have. Um, it's, well, I mean, I, I really struggle with my own sense of worth. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, this is the highest paid job I'm on and I'm, under, and I'm earning less than 30 grand a year. And yeah. my contract is not um, solid enough for me to guarantee my own work. I'm on a zero hours contract. So every month there's that same bit of panic about towards the end of the month when the rotor hasn't come out. And we're all sitting there like, um, I do feel that um, when I was looking for a job, because my last job was so poorly paid for what I was asked to do, I didn't realize what I was worth because the company want to keep you there at a shit rate 
but mm. you know, but, but so they tell you that you're not, you know, like you get that understanding. They don't necessarily tell you directly, but you get the feeling that what you're doing and what your, what your skills is, what your skill set is, is only worth 20 grand at best. And actually it's not, it's just that the company aren't willing to pay you what you deserve. Mm. And I think that as a result, I was like spent most of last year, at this time last year onwards, I was looking for jobs that didn't pay well. I was looking for jobs that were about 22 to 24 grand when actually my qualifications and my experience um, and the, and my aptitude is around about the 30 to 35, maybe 50 ish. I don't know, but that's the problem. I don't know because there's a system that's set against me really understanding that unless you, somebody you sit there and tell you otherwise. Did you find in your career when you were talking, I assume there's people that haven't gone to, u- to university and don't have a degree in your career. Have you ever yeah. felt that they kind of... Well, no, you have to have a qualification to be to qualify as a journalist. Yeah. And that, but that would be a quick course that costs a grand and a half. Or like, yeah. sorry, four grand. Instead of the degree that I did was 10 grand. But for any job you've gone for where you've, you're the one, you have a degree, but you, I assume at some point you've worked with people that don't have been to uni. Well, I mean, I, I, I work at, um, I, I mean, in between um, sort of more career jobs, I've worked with people who don't have, yeah, who don't have degrees because I've been yeah. working in bars and stuff. Do you ever feel that they felt, first of all, intimidated by you just because you've ha- you have a degree? And also, do you ever feel like they kind of like almost take the piss out of you because it's like, oh, you've got a degree when you're here at this level? Do you ever have ever, ever felt like that I before? Felt- I, I would say that um, I felt different. I felt not ostracized, but I didn't feel like I fit in. But I don't yeah. think that. And I think that is partly because I came across as being aloof because I had all these qualifications yeah. um, because of that sort of sense of self-importance that comes with it because of the guarantee that you're given from a young age growing up. Yeah. If you're smart, you will go far. But the reality was that um, this time uh, I was lucky to have a job in a bar, it was a great bar, it was a good job, I enjoyed the job as well. It was a bit of hard graft. To touch on, on about like finishing uni, so um, first of all, when I finished uni, I, I, as, I, as I mentioned, I was doing these placements. And it just felt like, it was just a bunch of people in my same situation that finished university and now can't do anything, or like in a position where you can't get a job and we're all just doing this placement together, working together, and you just kind of feel like, yeah, you just almost wasted your time. My, my first job I got after um, uni was um, I worked for, as I said, for the private college in um, Holborn. My job was essentially to stand by the door and tell people where their class is. That was my job. That sucks. My job was campus support, so I was just my job was just to stand by the door, tell mm. people I had this paper of jumbled up classes. It took you had to go through the, the paper and just people come in and tell you their group, like what group they're in. You have to tell them which room it is. For some reason, this changed every single day, so you can't like even memorize it. So it would, you get a new paper every day with different classrooms, and you just tell people. And that was my job. And then um, because like I wasn't busy all the time, I used to um, get given other tasks as well, like like portraying papers to different offices. It was quite a humiliating job, to be honest. I've never been so yeah. humiliated working. It was quite humbling as well because. I've left uni feeling like, oh, I've got a degree and I feel like sort of entitled. I feel, I feel entitled because I spent three years and I feel like I should be doing something at least at certain, even, even if it's not a top job, but I should be at least doing an office job as a basic requirement. But let's stop you there. Do you feel that the work you did at university does entitle you somewhat? Because I think that if you are able to, I mean, because I don't feel like going to university and then studying your ass off is you know, it's something that doesn't prove something, you know? Um, I feel that, 
you know, if um, when you do study hard, it it's just as difficult as working full time. That's how I treated my last degree. So I do feel that there is a sense of entitlement that is yeah. an entitlement. Of course, there's a sense of entitlement. You first of all studied your ass off to get your A levels and got applied, did all the application and personal statement crap and the UCAS points and everything. Got into a top uh, top yeah. university and you've paid a shitload of money. You've got a degree now, and then you've come out. That's the whole reason why you've gone through all that whole process. So you, mm. you do feel that at the end of this, there's going to be some light at the tunnel. I'm going to get something. You're not expecting to get like the top job straight away, but you're expecting to get like a, at least something basic. But then yeah, something that makes it out, worth. It. Yeah, coming out is like I think probably it's probably the most humbling experience. That's why I, that's why I think my how I am about like my job now compared to how it would have been if I got this job straight out of uni. It would have been a lot different. Um, I think I'm, I'm a lot. I'm a lot humbler because of that. Because I know how far I've come in the last few, um, seven years after leaving uni compared to, compared to where I thought I would have been. I thought like I probably would have been where I am now straight after uni. If you'd applied straight in for this kind of job because you had that higher self esteem, yeah. do you feel that maybe you'd have got that job now? No, I don't actually think I would have got this job. I think. Um, just years of gaining experience because I had no ex- experience. I had to literally start from the bottom, and um, oh, that job, yeah, it was really humbling because I, um, as I said, I, one of my job roles was the porter stuff. So I used to have to take papers from offices to offices in this Tesco trolley they had. And it was just me walking around the office, and like somebody goes, "Oh, you got people used to make little jokes. Like, oh, you going shopping at Tesco, wherever." Wait, and, um, okay, and sorry, just quickly, just to go back, um. I think it's very important to have like a bar job when you're like, you should yeah. start when you're 16, definitely. You I never, I think one of the wisest decisions I made as a teenager was to get a job ASAP and yeah. start. Then you yeah. really appreciate the difference. Like, yeah. It gives you, like you said, humbled. It, it feels like you then have the respect for everybody. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know how much hard work they actually put in. I mean, yeah. like, are hardworking fuckers. Yeah. And like, our people are fucking hardworking. And chefs are just. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, I mean, I, I've only got experience in the dining industry because I didn't really want to go and stand around in a shop. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine me with ADHD in a shop. I can't, I can't, I get stressed out going to Tesco's. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't handle it. As I mentioned before, I found like at that age getting jobs quite difficult for me because I don't know why. It's just like it was just that you know that in, that that period where everything just started moving online in terms of what you apply for because it went from like paper applications to everything going online. So it was just as that they were making that transition where when I turned 16 and um, I applied for a few jobs. I had a few job interviews, but just, I was, just wasn't getting anything when I was in, when I was um, in college. So yeah, so I've come out and I, so I didn't really, I didn't have a job until 23 when I left uni. So that was my first proper job. And yeah, it was quite humbling. I guess like, yeah, starting on the bottom, pouring stuff around and people making little jokes. People that, um, that, that don't have degrees kind of almost like looking like, oh yay, Time well spent for you in it. That security be like, yeah, I see you putting your your degree to good work there, Marlon, pushing that trolley there. <laughs> Wait, again, you're probably yeah. trying to surprise them. You should probably put it back, you know, just be like, yeah, you can help me actually. That's a good point. Tell yeah. you help. I'll sit on it. You fucking push, you can. They can you just get bullied at work. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing though, you, you you can get bullied at work because you can't, you know, you can't you can't do anything. You you're you're in a you're in a position you need you want this money. And you hate your job, but you have this little like dickheads saying shit to you, and you can't say anything back because you feel yeah. You yeah, know, around about seventy percent of people um, who leave their jobs say that, or at least no, seventy percent of people who hate their jobs hate don't hate their jobs; they hate their manager. 
or they yeah. hate people around them. And I think that jobs are a very social thing, which is why it's very yeah. important to network your way into yeah. job and actually sort of spend the time to actually get to know your boss, potential yeah. boss beforehand as a human being and realize yeah. that they are just human beings and that's what's going to yeah. be further than just yeah. hard work at the time. Yeah. Um, so, also, I, sorry, and also like just on that point um, about the job that you know you said you hated it every day. Like, I think that um, having been through sort of uh, a lot of, I mean, we both earlier discussed how um, jobs are, you know, like that we've had those jobs that would just makes you want to cry every morning. You're not yeah. proud of yourself. It's so important to be proud of what you do. Yeah. Um, and also, it's important to know that you know, like you shouldn't need to be loyal to any company. No. At all, um, you know. I mean, it's good to have the pride of it, but be yeah. proud of it. But yeah. don't be loyal to it. You know. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm never. I'm never loyal to the job. I'm never like. I think. I think you should only be loyal to a job like if it's like your company, something that's for you and your family. Yeah. There's no. I don't think there's any point in being loyal to a job but that's gonna turn around and just if it needs be get rid of you. Why? Why yeah. would you be loyal, loyal to that? And I found like that's another thing I found with working is that people. I, I don't enjoy the, the workplace culture at all because it just involves being fake and I'm, I don't see myself as a fake person I I like to, if, I, if I if I like you I like you if I don't like you then I'm just gonna keep I'm not gonna be mean or anything I'm just gonna not really talk to but I find that whole people being friendly to your face and then sending an email about you yeah, or like sure. backstabbing you I found that really hard to, to cope with and I, I struggle with it now I, I don't that's why I don't really go to I don't really go to work socials. I don't really try to hang out with people outside of work or outside of the office because I just know it's a fake thing. There's only like one or two people. I take, I take a few people that I trust and like, and I'll, mm. I'll associate with myself with those people because I count those people as my friends. But other people who just generally, I just I try to disconnect myself from me and kind of, I'm friendly and everything, but I'm not gonna I hang out with them like outside of work because yeah. you know, it's fake. I think that, I mean, I've been through about sort of five or six jobs and I find that with exceptions to the ones in Indonesia, because I was also living with these people, um, most like 99%, no, so 95% of the people I've worked with in the past and actually cared what they thought and stuff. I don't mm. talk to anyone. I don't have any interest mm. in their lives. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, you know, it's worth a Facebook like, but yeah. you know, I'm not going to write, you know, I mean, I feel, I find that it's important that you realize like that it's, the pressure to be popular at work isn't real. It's, yeah. it, it's, you don't have to be popular at work. You just have you don't to, have to be people. I think that one of the things I've noticed about coronavirus, uh, the quarantining is that there are about five people at my job that I actually want to talk to. Mm. Uh, and when I go back, I mean, when I first started there, obviously I wanted to be liked by everybody and stuff. And I was really upset because this one time ago, uh, who I work with said that, um, you know, snapped at me and had a go at me. Um, for just interrupting conversations because I wanted to be part of the conversation because mm. uh, I was new and I wanted to make friends with people and I was, you know, me. Um, and um, <laughs> I'm very extroverted. I, I just want to be like, oh, I have a story. Um, yeah. and, like, and it's annoying as fuck. And she was right. Um, but I, I talked to my girlfriend about it. I talked to Lou about it. And she said that um, that it's important to know that people are right. I mean, every, you, you can't be the sheriff of London. You can't be the most popular person. Mm. All you really need to do is focus on maybe one or two people. And mm. one of my bosses, um, when I came in that week, I was feeling like shit. I mean, I, you know, I really did. And I, and I came in later that week and I was like, well, nobody, nobody likes me. And that feeling is horrible. And it's not true. Um, lots of people like you. It's just that if someone says something nasty to you at work, you feel like shit. And that's normal. 
But, mm. um, and, you know, and anyone who says they don't care is just full of shit as well because everyone mm. cares. People like to be liked. Um, but I feel that, but my boss goes to me, like, you know, one of those deputy editors just goes, oh, you know, like you're part of our crew now because I'd only been there two months. And he just goes, he goes, Les, why are you looking glum? You're part of our crew. I need, we need yeah. you over here. You know, and then gave me a job again and, you know, like, I added another article. But it made me feel like I belonged somewhere. It made me feel valued, which is something I hadn't done for a year because in my past job, they've been trying to kick me out the door at a time that worked for them. Um, and I've been manipulated and I, I felt like shit about myself as a journalist. And they were nice enough people, but, you know, I didn't fit in in that environment beforehand. So I was terrified of that happening in my new environment. And the reality is now that coronavirus has come about, office politics has taken a backseat um, and you can start, and I'm looking forward to going back to the office eventually on a tempered basis because I'm just as productive at home. But, and I, I like living here. My girlfriend brings me food. It's great. Um, and then, but one of the things I've really noticed is that there's only about five people that I chat to. Um, yeah. and then, but we're all looking forward to going for a drink together like when I get back and when we all get back and it's going to be great. And I'm looking forward to that. But there's, lot, there's lots of people who I deem to be the popular ones. I have no interest in talking to you at all. And I always felt a little bit talked about. And I feel that once you feel like people are talking about you, there's no incentive to, um, to try to be friends with them if they're going to say stuff behind your back at all. And mm. that goes across the board, like, you know, yeah. like in every situation. If somebody makes you feel uncomfortable, there's a reason for it. When you create a situation where there is that money involved, it kind of brings the worst out in people. And I think that's the cause for some of the people like saying stuff behind your back certain people you find there's like an age clash sometimes when you work with people of different ages as well there might be people that are maybe 10 20 years older than you and they feel like they know a lot more than somebody your age but then you might just come in getting maybe paid the same amount of money they getting paid so they feel kind of threatened by you to feel kind of like you don't deserve to get what you're getting because i've had that as well where people kind of unhappy in themselves and they kind of bring that unhappiness about their career and life into the workplace on the kind of create a bad environment, especially with this whole thing in the workplace where people paid all different amount of money that causes a lot of clashing, I think. Mm. Um, I think that firstly, um, with regard to how much you get paid and stuff, it's very, um, there was a, I think there was a fuss made about it about two years ago. Um, It's a very strange culture that we in the West have about not talking about how much we get paid. And the reality isn't actually, and we we feel like it's embarrassing for us. And we're taught that that's embarrassing for us, but actually it's not embarrassing for the company because if for example um i'm working with a woman and she's being paid like as a typical example she's being set paid 70 percent what i'm being paid there is no reason for that and it's an, it's a shame yeah. not on either of us to discuss it openly but it's yeah. a shame on the company for not having the, you know, for treatment equally for doing yeah. the same thing now don't get me wrong if i'm doing a different to somebody within the same company so um for example our digital design people are brilliant um, I, I, I think they probably get paid a bit more than I would um, because yeah. they are very good at what they do. But I don't know that. I, I'm, again, just because I don't get to socialize with them yet. Um, yeah. I, I was still when I left for coronavirus. But um, I'd like to find out just out of interest because I do yeah. have similar skills. But, you know, um, but we, you know, everyone has their own role. But I, th- I feel that there's a, that sort of suspicion and that whole money thing you mentioned does breed a lot of discomfort yeah. that isn't yeah. necessary. Yeah. But it applies to the dating as well, because as soon as someone says, what do you do for a living? Um, mm. They're actually asking how much you earn how much in you get. some cases and how much resources you get. And yeah. their assumptions to that end aren't necessarily the reality. And the reality is that we get paid a lot less, especially in my industry, yeah. than, than people assume. 
um, yeah. at least at my level and doing the work that I do. But then again, I'm yeah. very low down. I'm, I'm basically where I should be if I'd started yeah. after university at the age of 25. I should be, sorry, yeah. I should be about there. And most of my colleagues are in that stage. So I'm sure we'll all get paid more eventually, but yeah. So no, to, to segue back to like my um, expectations when I came out of um, uni in terms of what mm. job I was getting and what I was getting paid. So to, um, I think somebody in one of my, I did business management in uni. And um, one of my lectures said the average pay for graduates at the time was like 26 grand. So I'm like, ooh, that seemed like a lot of money back then. Now yeah. it seems like I wouldn't get out of bed for that. But I mean, <laughs> I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so, <laughs> that's awkward now. But um, <laughs> Mate, I wasn't paid more than 20 grand till I was like 27, yeah. I think. Till so, club, actually. I don't think I was paid more yeah. than 20 grand in my life. So that adds to my point. That, that actually adds to my point, one thing. So you come up with that expectation. But in reality, I end up taking a job that pays 10 grand less than that 26 grand he said. So I was getting paid um, for that campus job, 16 grand. That was my first job. And um, what happened, I started off as a campus support, just telling people in their classroom, we were moving stuff around. And I even moved furniture around and in the offices and all that. I did that type of shit. But then my job role changed because um, a lot of people got made redundant. What I used to do when I had a lot of free time, I would offer to help out in office. I'm like, I can do this on the computer. I can do that. So I can do some data entry. So I used to do stuff like that. So um, when a lot of people got made redundant, they needed stuff. They just went and grabbed me one day and like, yeah, you're working in this office now. But the, the issue was at the time is people in that office get paid more than I do. I'm still being paid the campus for um, support uh, money. So everything, everything in that office gets paid more than me and I'm, I'm doing all this work for, for less money. And then I, my job role changed again. I got another, I got another job in the, in, in the company after that. And um, where I'm taking a lot of responsibility and everything, and then my pace still hasn't changed. That's weird. In in how many years? It's just I'm doing. I'm they're, I'm, they're requesting more. Yeah, I did a few times. And they're requesting more and more work for me, but not paying me any different. That's something so, I found quite recently. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that goes on, and I think yeah. our generation are kind of getting fucked by that. Yeah. Um, it's very very frustrating actually. Is that yeah. we're being given a very. I mean, like the skills that we're expected to have to start with are higher than. Yeah. That was that that which was expected of our parents. Yeah. We are yeah. expected to produce more for yeah. the money we're given, which again isn't fair. And yeah. I mean, and it's I mean, oh, you know, and and I mean, for example, my last job was a perfect example of this. By the time I left, I was because they kept making cuts around me. They didn't put up my, my wages. They expected me to produce more. original articles all the time. Yeah, but I had to find the pictures. I had to do the pictures. I had to schedule everything else like that. I yeah. was doing three jobs by the end of it, and I was yeah. getting paid less than what I should have been paid for. So it's, it's, it's not the only situation. I mean, everybody that I speak to has a similar situation to that, apart from the people who are getting paid actually quite well and feeling respected in their jobs. So in my situation, um, more and more people left and that meant that I had to take in a lot of like, work. So I mean, mm-hmm. like, that's why I used to like, hate my job. The office is um, bare, there's not, barely anybody in and I'm doing mm-hmm. all of this work. I can barely go to lunch. Yeah, that's what um, we had as well. They're not, they're not even making it any... There's times I had to work for my lunch break because they haven't made any provision for me to even take an hour break. When I first started working, I never used to take a lunch break because um, I, I don't really eat that much at lunch. So I, I used to just eat on my desk or any stuff like that. I used to work through lunch. I didn't mind doing that. So basically, I was on, I was on a temp contract. So it was like every three months, it has to get renewed. And it, it got to mm. one point when my contract wasn't renewed. It was just... 
was just in the void sort of thing, just in like, I was just working, but with no contract for like a year, with no contract. Yeah, I've yeah. not got yeah. a contract. Yeah, yeah I, had no con I had no contract. For me, I didn't care too much because I, I, I saw this job as just a, a, like, a temp thing where I'm just- Yeah, but how many up, jobs yeah. are there before you get yeah. onto the real job where they respect yeah. you and treat you like a human being? Yeah. Up. We're 30 yeah. years old and we have not got, we're not in a position where we have you know, like, and it's not because we haven't been trying, as you said before, you work yeah. your ass off at uni, you work your ass off at the first job, second job, third job, fourth job. And yeah. it's not a question anymore of, yeah. um, of, oh, maybe I haven't worked hard enough. It's a question of why the fuck are you taking the piss? Why yeah. am I not worth what I should be worth? Yeah. And why so, do you think it's acceptable? And the reason is because we're all too a penny to them. What was the breaking point in this job? Was, I was doing this job for what's meant for two people by myself. So they eventually they brought in this person who was, was a great person, but, um, mm -hmm. Basically, they said that I'm actually going to be my junior, but I found out she's getting paid two grand more than me because the way it worked, whatever department you came from, you stayed on that pay. So she came from a different department on a different pay, which was higher right. than mine because I, I came from a department which was one of the lowest pay in the company. So yeah, so they're like, yeah, we're going to bring, bring her in. Yeah. So I'm just like, I have no contracts. I'm underpaid. So I just wrote an email saying, you need to, this needs to be all sorted out. Otherwise, I'm not. I'm pretty much going to leave. Yeah, so of course. They kind of didn't yeah. really take. They sent they sent me a new contract, but with no pay increase, and said that pretty much I need to sign the contract. And pretty much, wow. And at the time, all they needed to do is pay me about two grand, and I would have been like, that would have not yeah. been enough to shut me up. And it was like that's nothing they could have paid. So uh, eventually, uh, that's that's how I ended up. I ended up taking a, I ended up taking another temp job that didn't work out for me. But I ended up leaving just about a couple of weeks after that. Just left yeah, and um, they, they called me to the office and goes, oh, we know there's been a dispute with your pay and everything. Um, we, 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 we've put you on a list to get a pay rise and um, Oh, on a list? Oh, boy. Fuck you. Like, what the fuck is that? Oh, okay, I'll stay, I'll stay longer while I'm on the list. I can't wait. Yeah. They did, to be honest, they did, do, they, did do, they, did do, they did do the pay rise for everybody, but like two years later or something. Crazy. Yeah, it's not good enough. And Let's move on to finance. Finance, yes. Okay, so we talk about this a lot, so we're going to try and not dwell on it. Um, so um, I'll run off the list because we've made some notes. Okay, so firstly, I would definitely learn more about finance as a whole, as a subject, the, fine, the stock market, how it works. Um, I would learn what APR meant, AER, things like that. I would also learn how to manage a credit card. I think Marlon would definitely learn how to manage a credit card early on. Um, I think it's important in terms of spending money. Um, spend money on things you like doing. No one remembers the good times they say at, they sat out because they were too expensive. Equally, don't do stuff you feel is a ripoff because you'll just get pissy about it afterwards when you realise. Um, if it looks too good to be true, generally, it is. Um, but ask around anyway. It's not you know. And if you feel kind of like, eh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Just fuck it. Just to go slightly off point quickly. I don't know if you came across this when you graduated but did you come across a, a bunch of pyramid schemes contacting you or people getting into pyramid schemes was that a thing when you was when you graduated because it was definitely a big thing about when i graduated no i tend to like palm those people off and put them yeah, in so, so like when, when i graduated there was a lot of people saying oh let's um do you want to join this scheme where if you sign up eight people so you sign up, you sign up eight people and then they sign up eight people and then you go up this pyramid and you get paid 
then you end up with a Mercedes or whatever. Bullshit. Oh, yeah. So, that, that's, I don't think, yeah. think that people actually would try that shit with me, really. Yeah. This is something lucky enough for me that I didn't learn now. I learned 10 years before they came to me with that because I've seen people like of my like my parents generation where they got into those pyramid schemes and lost a bunch of money so by the time i was in my mid-20s and people contacted me from people people i went to school with was contacting me people all from from work was trying to get me to join these schemes but lucky enough i knew about this from 10 years before that i learned something from the older generation to bring into the the present time for me so that was a good thing really because that was they say like um a smart person learned from their mistake and a wise person learned from other people's mistakes. So lucky enough, I was able to learn that from other people. So when people contacted me with a pyramid scheme, I'm like, no, no, thank you. I had, I had a lot of people like, it was so, it was so many, that even my supervisor was trying, to, was trying to get me involved on this. And it was, it, he had this scheme where like, um, he said that the price of silver is going to go up, it's going to boom. Basically, what he said is um, there's no more silver and um, they can't find it anymore. And then now the price of it's just going to suddenly boom. Yeah, yeah the National Trust has at least a ton of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what he said to me. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like bullshit. And this was like nearly 10 years ago you said that. And I don't see any, I'm wearing fucking silver on my wrist. And I don't see, this is not yeah. suddenly worth fucking 5,000 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have a massive, like overwhelming yeah. desire to buy or wear silver anymore either i didn't suddenly cash in on this like, on, on this, this bracelet <laughs> for anybody listening i got i'm wearing a silver bracelet what, what cost me 50 quid i'm not able to sell this for like triple the price i got it for but um yeah so it, <laughs> yeah there was a lot of um pyramid schemes when um i left uni but anyway i digress and it's, actually you know what i think that does link in quite well with finances yeah. you know pyramid schemes again yeah. it's, it's that whole you know like you i think young people do to get targeted by this kind of thing as well yeah I think you do it comes the thing the thing about all of these like, things they come back around in circles you think oh when i heard, when i first heard about the pyramid scheme was about probably 10 years prior and um lucky enough for, for me um i knew people that lost money in that already before you yeah. spend any money make sure yeah. you research it for example like yeah. if anybody asks you for money if anyone tries to offer you anything everything can be researched everything yeah, definitely mean, we've got the internet now so we just yeah, look we didn't, it up. didn't have it back then not yeah. like this so yeah. yeah so lucky lucky enough for me i already saw this and um i think for a lot of people they didn't know about it so they kind of thought oh this is easy money so they can jump on it and that's one thing you learn about like finance there's no there's no really quick flips unless you're going to go to a casino, maybe put like all your money on black and get no. For the most part, if you're going to, if you're trying to make money too quickly, it's not going to really work out for the most part. There are I some mean, things you can make quick money in, but for the most part, you're not just going to take a thousand pound out your savings and flip it and make 10 grand. For the most part, that's not going to work. Just try to make money the old fashioned way. I've, no, I, I wouldn't say just make it the old-fashioned way. I'd say that you need to invest it in something you feel and absolutely know under mm. no pressure was is wise. I think bricks and mortar, obviously very wise, but choose yeah. research the area. The level of you do is what's going to leave you making money, you know? Yeah. When I said the old-fashioned way, I mean like the, like um, that save and doing like proper things like you just mentioned, but not like yeah. quick flips. I'm just going to put, take this money and put it here and it's going to flip into 10 grand. Isn't that the stock market? So I said the most cases, well, most cases, if me and you was to take a thousand pound now and put it on a stock market, most cases that's going to go. We don't know enough about the stock market to just put it in there. Unless you're, unless you're really into your finance, you know exactly how to make money. But Not people- just just, I mean, like if you just look at, like, I mean, if you go to Google now, you can generally, if it's a publicly traded company, yeah. you can see how the stock's going. Yeah. And I think that 
you know, I mean, while I don't understand the intricacies of it, I do think that if you're going to um, look into that kind of stuff, it's it's very it's a lot easier yeah. now for us to see that and have that information yeah. out. But the likelihood the security guard at your workplace having all this inside information to tell you which was happening yeah, in my situation is it. it's very unlikely. My, my advice to anybody listening is that kind of look at the person's situation that's recommending you to do any of this financial investment. If you see the person like struggling, have no money, taking the bus everywhere and he's telling you that you can get Mercedes, like, okay, where's your Mercedes? I actually had somebody try to talk me into one of these like business things and I'm like, okay, how much money have you made? I haven't done it. I'm not doing it. I'm just recruiting people to do it. I'm like, oh, if it's that good, why are you doing it then? Why are you telling? Why are you trying to talk me into doing it? And you but also it. check out the company that they're telling you to invest in as well, because yeah. a lot of them change their names. So yeah. my girlfriend worked for this wine company. Um, she was when she was about in her early twenties. She worked for this wine company that were basically a scam, and they do all the posh. They they get it all dressed up posh and stuff like that. But um, they use psychologists to manipulate their staff, yeah. and these people, and they were just running around conning people and then screwing them out of all their money. Yeah. I think she yeah. screwed someone out of a hundred grand. Um, which you know should be the red flag. I think this is definitely an important segue because I think a lot of people lose money this way, especially at a young mm-hmm. age. Because there's a lot of people who, like, you might have gone to uni, you know, a lot of people who try to talk you into investing into certain businesses and certain stuff. And you, if you're not careful, you can lose a lot of money. I know people that have lost thousands of pounds after uni, like three grand and plus, just trying to invest in people's schemes because they trusted they trusted the wrong person. Yeah. Like if I was going to invest in something, it would either have to be something I can, that I can hold, yeah. um, keys to a house or a vehicle. I think that's how me and you are, but there's some, some people who have done that and have lost a lot of money this way. And I think this is very important, like thing to be very um, careful of, especially mm-hmm. like you trust people and it, they, it sounds like, cause these people are really good salespeople when they're telling you about it. They're really, good, they're, they're really good at selling, selling these things to you. Going like to how to spend, how I would have spent my money in my twenties, or at least the things I don't regret doing with, um, I, I never regretted spending my money on, um, on a vehicle um, or mm. on, um, I'd never, I think that my general rule has been um, don't spend more than 500 pounds on anything that isn't either a plane ticket, um, a house or a vehicle um, or a holiday. But having said that, um, I, I would also say that if you're going to, you know, when it comes to things like clothes, vehicles and everything like that, you do need to do your research, but there's mm. no shame. You should spend the money on the better quality stuff if it's something you're going to use a lot. Mm. So, um, for example, I spent like, I mean, I go through maybe one pair of jeans every year um, and I wouldn't spend more than 50 quid on a pair of jeans. But when I do spend the money on the jeans, you know, like I don't regret that at all. And I think that, I mean, for example, this T-shirt I wear almost every time. You know, fucking Primark, mate. And mm. I like it. It's a good oh, talk about <laughs> jeans. Um, one tip for you is um, go to outlet malls. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's always a good thing. That's where I buy my jeans from. And if Marlon wears them, you know they're good. Yeah, we'll get that Levi sponsorship, Marlon. We'll get it. Levi <laughs> sponsorship. One day, Marlon. One day. Like, let's reach for the moon. <laughs> How are you with savings? Um, I've been living with my family um, yeah. for about three years now so I've managed to save up but then um, I ended up losing my job so I ended up spending most of that money that I saved mm. on just survival it costs about a thousand pounds a month just to be a human being what, um, what were you 
What were I mean, you saving for? What, what were you saving for a particular goal? Because before you answer that question, to bring in the missus now, her and her sister had a different um, plan when they were savings. So like my missus kind of was more, we're gonna, I'm going to enjoy myself more with the money as opposed mm. to her sister who's that I'm going to save to buy something substantial like a property. So did you have like an aim for um, to, what you were um, going to do with the money? Basically, my life hits a kitchen floor reset every three years. So um, originally, my okay. So when I was in Indonesia, I knew that what I saved up wasn't really worth it compared to what I could spend it on. So I could. Um, so I spent most of the money that I earned. I came back with a grand, having left with a grand. So okay, I, I mean, I made a grand overall, but I also did some of the most incredible things I've ever done. So and I don't regret a single penny I spent out there. Mm. Not a single one. Um, I think that because I had the opportunity that was unique already in the circumstances that were unique, um, the money I spent was well spent and I don't regret yeah. it. But it does mean that I came back age 26, 27, and I didn't have anywhere near the capital that my friends do. So my friends all own places that are at a better yeah. state. They're at a further stage in life. But that being said, I don't regret what happened to me. Um, I do think that it's important to save up about a third of your uh, wages mm. every year just for um, A, uh, you never know when you're going to lose your job. Yeah. B, um, and I think that, but after university, um, I was in with this girl and um, we were saving up, well, at least I thought we were, but um, the reason I left at home was that I could save up towards a mortgage. And mm. I thought, that, you know, like I'd end up moving in with somebody. Uh, you know, her obviously, but like now, you know, elsewhere in life. Um, and I also was saving up. I mean, originally I was saving up towards to going to Canada and buying a place out or finding a place out there and living out there because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I still wanted to travel a bit, but then that all fell through um, about a year and a half ago and that resulted in our breakup as well as other issues that we were having, um, which is sad, but it's, and it, it's, it's horrible to lose that dream. And after that, of course, because my, private life fell apart it's very difficult to keep that at home as much as you want to um it's impossible to do that um mm. particularly if you are very emotional like i am uh you bring it to work and your work suffers and then you end up with the whole thing snowballing and it just becomes a bit too much so yeah. as a result i end up a job six months later um and then yeah and then i end up spending all the savings that i'd really worked hard for on simply sure trying to find another job. But I yeah. also spent it, I also spent about three or four grand yeah. on going out to Chile. And that was, an, again, this is something I never regretted, is it helped me recover. The right, yeah, incredible yeah. experience. Always wanted yeah. to go to South America before I turned 30. I yeah. did something that was on the bucket list. I spent the money well. I don't regret it. Um, I spent maybe about 150 pounds a week, maybe two, uh, I spent about 600 pounds a month. So yeah, about 150 pounds a week on just, on just being sociable, but, not over the top um, and just, you know, like a few bits and bobs for me because I earned that money. Mm. Um, there's no shame in going on the dole when you uh, lose your job because you deserve it. It's yeah. the tax that you paid. So there's no so, shame whatsoever. So, so to go back to like savings, I think, I think for me personally, a part of me wishes that I did start saving up a lot earlier, but part of me also is like, I did get, I did have a good time with not saving. I, I did save for a period of time until like only a few years ago. Then I started like saving, but part of me wished that I saved up a lot more and I was a bit wiser money. But also as well, I've I've only been earning what I've been earning, which is quite which is decent for the job I'm doing for like less than probably a year and a half now. So I've I've only been mm -hmm. earning at this level for a year and a half. As I said, I came from earning like sixteen grand 
to like I'm not gonna say how much I earn now, but I earn like well over twenty grand than that. So um, yeah. So it's only now I'm in a position where I can have I'm able to save and do what I want at the same time. You understand? I have money to yeah. do excess stuff and also well, yeah, because you're save. finally getting paid enough to yeah. actually live yeah. life that you you know that our yeah. parents were again living when they were yeah. 24, 24. So now we're going to move on to health. Um, okay, so the main things for me, number one, keep swimming. Number two, make sure you keep the cigarettes in check. Same with the drinking. It's okay to just go crazy, but um, science has shown that when you get to 30, and it, it, those hangovers hurt a lot more the older you get. Um, but, you know, have a blowout every now and then. Um, but it, it, it will kill you for three days. It, it, mm. It will. It will hurt. To cut you there quickly, do you notice there's a big difference between your hangover since you was 20 compared to now Now that you're 30? It isn't, it isn't. Um, at one point, um, my brother, my brother's two years younger than me and we went to his uh, housewarming party. And um, when we did, it was me, I went with Lou and um, my brother. And my brother, he sprung up at 9am like, yeah, I'm going to make pancakes. I've been 28. Me, 30, I'm like, all right, I can't see for now, but oh God, oh God. Okay, and I just turned to my left and Louise was just a stone. She was like sitting there like, don't move me. She cried. <laughs> so I think that um, while at uni, my hangovers were really, really bad because I drank a fuck ton. I drank so much and, you know, so I deserved that. I mean, like there probably was a large percentage of my bloodstream was alcohol. And I had a reputation for drinking quite a bit too much anyway. But I yeah, think nowadays, I think I drink differently. So I yeah. think that the hangovers are different. I think, though, that at least once or twice a year, you're going to have those nights when you randomly find yourself shit-faced. And you're like, oh, bugger. And you just end up getting really drunk and making an absolute ass of yourself. But it happens less and less. You end up with these situations less and less because the opportunities are less and less. I think with me, it's a bit, was a bit different. So uh, I remember when I, cause I didn't really drink before uni. So when I was about 20, I started drinking properly. So... Um, when I used to, when I first drank, I used to wake up with no hangover. It was fine. I used to not really get hangovers, but I think my theory on that that situation really is that it's because I was drinking a lot less. Because I wasn't used to drinking, it would take me a lot less alcohol to get drunk. So that's probably the reason why my hangovers were a lot less when I woke up in the morning. But yeah, I found when I hit my mid, my hit my my, my mid twenties that it started to really affect me. For like, I'd be hungover for like. My whole day be written off. I'd be in bed all day just because the hang the hangover was killing me. I can't eat anything. My head is killing me. I felt I felt there's a big difference between how I recover from a hangover compared to how it was recovering when I was twenty, waking up bright and early in the morning. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I was never really a morning person anyway, but yeah. I find that my girlfriend now she's um she's a big morning person, which is a yeah. huge. I I think it's gonna be grounds for divorce later on, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, even on a even on a hangover, yeah. I mean, she wakes up early and I can't do that. I, I just, I mean, I think that when you're 30, it takes a day to just feel okay about life. Yeah. Also though, I, I will say though, if you, know, there is a lot to, of good to be said for a hangover day because it forces you to just do nothing, mm. which I think is really difficult to do if you're sober. Um, doing nothing is so important. Like sometimes, like, I mean, obviously be active 99% of the time, but I mean, even God rested on day seven and mm. we don't have that anymore. We have this 24 hour culture where we just, it's seen as almost, you know, like as bad to just take a day off of, of just like, fuck it. I'm doing nothing. It depends um, if you have some, if it depends if you have things to do now you have to cancel. It depends. 
True, yeah. But I mean, I think that one of the things, again, going back to the whole coronavirus thing, um, a friend of mine, a very, in fact, one of my best friends, she and I have both got similar things where you constantly have that sort of internal pressure to be social. And we've both noticed that um, that actually it's, it's, it's quite nice psychologically to just not have social responsibilities on top of um, extra responsibilities. Mm. There, was one, there was one time um, I went out, this is why I don't go out, this is why I don't drink during the week. But there's one time I was um, I was working in bank and I was on my way home and then I bumped into this guy that I went to um, uni with, just like he was out with his workmates. He's like bumped into him, like I haven't seen him in ages. And he's like, oh, what are you up to, Marlon? And I'm like, yeah, I just got back to go home. He's like, you sure you want to go? You sure you want to go home? You just want to come up for a couple of drinks? Mm. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Come up for a couple of pints. So I went, went, went to a bar, had a couple of drinks. And then he's like, you ready for the hard stuff now? So they came out with a tray of spirits and then... um. I was like, started drinking it and everything. And then let's just say I didn't make it into work. I had to call in sick. I've never had to do that apart from yeah. I should have done. I, I've always been scared to call in sick. I've never yeah. really called sick. But there were so many times when I should have done. I always think that it's like it's chickening out or that they're going to find out that I'm not actually sick as if it matters. The funny thing about that night out, I, um, I posted a picture of all the drinks to my Facebook Oh, you fucking put it, put, yeah, put it on Facebook. I didn't, I, I, I planned to go to work the next day, but uh, in the morning, I just couldn't get up. And then I just like, had to, I woke up in the morning. The first thing I did is delete that post. I that do post think it's a general it's tip. It's very, very, very important to be careful about what you post. Because, yeah. I mean, as a journalist, I'm saying, like, you know, like I'm telling you, like, if you, like, if you post dumb shit, which a lot of people do, we will find it if we mm. find out about it and we will track it. But before we move off the health topic, is there anything that you would have told yourself 10 years ago about your health? Okay, so obviously mental health-wise, you need to make sure that you take care of that. And also, I think it's, it's important to... Like, I mean, it's been a bigger drive now than it was 10 years ago, but it's important to give yourself sad um, or to feel your feelings and also to manage them. Uh, don't let them overwhelm you, but do manage them by looking at it in third person. There's so many techniques... And it's easy to dismiss those techniques, but it's worth giving it a go if it means that you don't end up sitting there just playing video games all day. Um, it's okay to play video games all day, but don't do it every day. Um, yeah. Also, um, everything in moderation. Um, I've never regretted that rule. Um, if you're going to put something in your body, make sure you know what it is. Um, mm. Make sure you do research about it. Again, and I know that I'm a journalist saying this, but research, 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 research. There is, apart from when you're going traveling, if you're going traveling, um, have a basic idea. Don't have all the ideas because otherwise you don't get to be flexible and fun. Yeah. Um, don't, don't have a schedule that's too tight when you travel, but that's not health. Um, the yeah. other thing is exercise is extremely important. It keeps you energetic even when you don't feel it. And the other thing I would say is that um, looking back over sort of sports and stuff, one of the things I always loved was that I was a good swimmer. Um, I do love having that. It's, just, it's still a skill I used even yesterday when I was out and about because um, we we're in the sea. But um, I wish I'd done more team sports, um, like rugby and stuff, mostly because of the social side of it. For me, I, just, I wish I was a bit more consistent with my health. So I, I always took my health very serious, but I'll, I'll do it for periods of time and then I'll stop. Honestly, like 10, 10 years ago, I wasn't even drinking or smoking. So that's something really? I kind of took up, I took up afterwards. But um, oh, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't really regret doing, doing that, but it's just how I am now. I'd rather be more, spend more time working on my health or working out as opposed to um, just doing it sporadically as I was doing in the past. So I rather spend most of my time um, being healthy and then picking the odd period of time. Like for example, going on a stag do to be unhealthy or it's a weekend just to be unhealthy as opposed to being unhealthy most of the time and trying to make up for that later on. So 
Like that's mm. what I do now. I try to be more consistent with it. Yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, lately I've been exercising a bit more just because I've had the right person to, because, you know, Louise pushes me. Um, yeah. I think that um, that was something that I noticed is that um, it, it kind of comes alongside making time for yourself and traveling alone as well is another thing. But it's very important that you learn from an early age to not be afraid to go to the gym on your own and not be afraid to exercise alone. Because one of the anxieties that I have even now is um, is exercising on my own. I noticed yeah. it's like um, Lou was doing like handstands in the park and she didn't, have, she didn't give a shit. I felt really awkward and embarrassed about it. Yeah. So I was um, so I think that that's one of the things I wish that I'd learned earlier on that it's okay to go to the gym and just, and also, also realize that people in the gym are usually just the same as you feeling a bit awkward and just want to make friends with someone. That's why everyone wants to spot each other secretly. It's like, I'll spot you. And it's always the guy who's not wearing undies, but yeah. you know, they, they, they tend to be very friendly people. Um, okay. So the last topic is travel. Um, okay. So my advice is, as I just said, um, the best holidays that I have are ones where I've had the balls to go out on my own. And it's terrifying at first. Um, it's really, really scary. You feel very vulnerable. You feel very alone. But honestly, like, I mean, the last time I went, I've done it twice. The first time I ended up having the most incredible experience of my life, I saw Komodo dragons. I don't know, I've done it three times. And every single one of them has been the most memorable experiences of my life. And every single time you just make friends with people around you because everyone wants to be your friend. Um, no one wants to be on their own unless they want to be on their own, in which case I'll make that apparent. But for somebody like me, because I'm a very extroverted person, um, it, it was a nightmare. I was so scared, but I had the right people helping me organize it um, because um, most of it was in Indonesia. But the other part of it was um, throughout, throughout my experience of losing my job, um, it took about a few months. So, and every day I just wanted to ride out I didn't know where to go, but I just wanted to get out on my motorbike and just go across Europe, could just go as far away as I could. And I think that's something you need to really listen to because mm. I, as soon as I was done there, I just got on my motorbike, packed it up with a load of stuff, bags and stuff and a tent, which was useless. Um, and I just left and I made it up as I went along. Um, I met this Irish girl out there who was awesome, really good friend of mine at the time. And I, and I had the best time. I had a really, really great time. I, was, I ended up in Köln, which is nowhere near what I'd anticipated. I did not think I would spend a day in Fantasia land. That's something that I really admire about you, that you've um, actually decided to like, go out there and travel and live in different countries. It's something, that, something I, wish I, I wish I could have done at some point in my life as well, where I wish I could like, have gone and lived in America for a little while or lived in Canada or lived in certain places. Although there, there's always the opportunity now, but I feel like now I'm more grounded in the sense of like, I've got like, I've got a job here, I've got like stuff, like family here and everything yeah, like but... that. I feel like you're kind of in one place. And I feel like that's something I might have done if I was in, first of all, in the financial position when I was younger. And something I, I wish I just could have done as I was younger. I didn't. I, sorry, I spent all my savings on doing yeah. those movies. Yeah. And then one kid had good. a job for me. But the thing yeah. is, though, I mean, I was pushed. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it because yeah. I wanted to. I wasn't sitting there. With, it, it's not. Most of the people that you meet out as expats aren't out there originally because they, um, because they, want, they were striving towards that life. It's because they were running from something else. Oh, okay. Um, oh. Most of us were the down, you know, like we were, we were the lost and the damned. Mm. But, um, and we felt frustrated with our own societies. We didn't feel there were any opportunities for us there. Or we felt, I mean, in my case, I felt very lost. I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I, I was really angry when I went to Indo. Um, I was really angry 
because of the way that life had been, you know, for that year and the year before it, I, I couldn't cope anymore. I was, I would start on people, which isn't in my character, like, you know, and, or I would say things that came out aggressive when I didn't mean them to. And I'd find myself yeah. in these positions because I was fundamentally furious and I was fundamentally broken. Um, and you so remember, I, um, I think when you were out there, you were trying to talk me into going out there. You should have come. You should have come. come. So um, I think just before to get out there, mate, six hundred pounds to live there for a month. It's fucking awesome. I think, I think just before you was coming back, I messaged you. This is years ago. This is probably about I can't remember. Yeah, good, probably a good a good five years ago. Good five years ago, I messaged you because I was I was in that job. I told you I, I hate, and I was yeah. just looking to go anywhere. So I kind of I, I reached out to you, and I was like, you you kind of said that. I think you was kind of saying that you're on your way back or something. I think you told me I should probably consider going China instead at the time. Then I did right. look into it, but I, then I didn't realize how little it paid to work out there. Yeah, uh, that's the problem a lot of people have is that they yeah. don't realize what you can get out of there. So if we, like I was saying before, I mean, um, I've probably said this before, but I lived in a two bedroom house. I had a pool yeah. down the road. I had yeah. the kind of life that we can't afford the level of yeah. the lifestyle that I had. And I had but, my own little bit, my own, et cetera. But the point yeah. is that we were living uh, on, I was being paid a thousand pounds a month, yeah. but I was living like I was on 40 grand a year. I do, under, I do understand that it's relative to the country you're living. Obviously that amount of money is a lot out there, but I was just also thinking that, I don't obviously want to live out there forever. So I was also thinking how much would I be able to save? I would I be able to save a lot. Of the time. thing you have to consider is that the time that you spend is linear, um, but the way you spend it isn't. And I think mm -hmm. that when I moved to Indonesia, I found that my personal growth, um, I wouldn't say was stunted, but my, my growth in within this culture was stunted because I sort of sidestepped. I, I, saw, I, I always picture it as sort of like, okay, so this is like sort of you live in life in England. And it turns out around here, it stopped working out for me. So mm. I stepped out of this line and then was in Indonesia where I went laterally. Um, I didn't grow up so much, but I grew sort of within, I had all these experiences that people envy or that I regard as being the best in my life. But mm. I did things that people couldn't dream of doing, but mm. you live in a dream world. Um, it's a dream. It's, it's, it's not, you come back and you realize that when you come back, people have matured, their attitudes have changed. And I don't know if that's because of our culture here where um, the expectations are put on us as we get older, but I wasn't going to be out there. And when I came back, it was, I felt a bit more like I should, I, there was more pressure to perform and have a job and it, that, that was a respectable career at this stage. So to segue to something quickly before we wrap up, um, do you think like the, the life we live in this country or the careers that we have kind of confines us to like to like almost almost like a jail you're kind of stuck into this yeah. like industry so like to give you a big a bit of background obviously um I, I hate i was in a job i hated and then mm. i went to another job that turned out to be temporary so i was like about a week away from being unemployed for the first time in how many years so um but in that time i felt like although i felt it was scary and i felt depressed about it but i felt freed in the sense that i now I have the freedom to do a lot of other stuff that I might have wanted to do. So it was yeah. like in that period of time, I started to get a bit more creative, started working on like film ideas. I bought a bunch of film equipment. I bought a bunch of other stuff. I bought, I bought even this microphone I'm speaking into mm -hmm. in during that time period. And I was sort of like think of putting together this website, putting together all these creative ideas. And then a week later, I got a job and I kind of put that all away.
Well, yeah, but the thing is, you experienced there is that you had that essential part of being in your 20s. Yeah. And I think it's actually the most fundamental yeah. part of your 20s. It's not getting a degree. It's not finding your first yeah. love. You're like, it's that moment where you realize where you get fired, you've got nothing. And you think, okay, well, here's what I want to do. And yeah. you don't get to think about that unless you're doing a job that yeah. in your first two jobs, first three jobs, that's fine. Unless you find it and you're lucky. But I think that most of the situations that, I mean, you know, it took me years and years to figure this out, but it, it takes a lot to figure out what you actually want to do. And yeah. when you, when you got fired from the shit job that you had that experience that was negative um, and you come out of it and you're like, well, is this what I want to do? You know, I don't want to do anything to do with this. I want to mm. do, uh, I want to do something with film. I want to do something that's creative. And I think that it goes kind of hand in hand with what I was saying before, where um, what I wanted to do when I left was, I wanted to escape. I wanted to have an adventure. I wanted to have my best, this incredible, I wanted to join the party. Um, and I went to Jakarta where there's no, where, where the, the huge, huge problems were getting hold of alcohol. Um, so not the best place to go for a party, but we made the most of it. Um, and it was something I'd never regret. Um, but equally, I think that um, my point was, I think that we are shoehorned into this um, path of, by of, of and it's it's a very capitalistic shoehorning but i think that it's everywhere you need to create or you need to have a living to be able to live and i think that it's the trade-off that's important here it's not yeah. about i mean the accepted format is that okay even if even if there was no money we would have to spend a substantial amount of our time finding food and foraging and growing food and things like that and that's the trade-off that we've made is that instead of finding food and hunting spending eight hours a day doing that we spend eight hours doing something that we're better skilled at mm. like in my case writing in your case um you know like doing what you do for a living you know like with uh, the college that you work at to move on to like the summaries um segment is um is there anything that you would advise um i think Stephen is like 20 years old or in his mm. 20, early 20s is there something that you would advise him to do now i think definitely travel um yeah, i think travel. actually as you know i mean like pack a bag like like, I mean, save up two grand and don't be afraid also, don't be afraid to spend the time on getting the right, on getting the right job, but also don't sit on your ass thinking it's going to fall into your lap. It's not, it will never do. And also if you can learn to sell stuff efficiently, learn to sell stuff, um, learn to sell stuff and acquire stuff and then make a profit on that. Cause that's really how money is made. It's not made through, um, you know, doing other stuff like that. We sell papers uh, you know, you sell admissions, we sell, you know, like, I mean, that's how the money is made because there's someone in there who's worth a shit ton of money because they've learned how to sell stuff efficiently. And yeah. those guys get paid because those are the guys that the business actually depends on. So it's very important to learn a skill like that. It's important to learn to be sociable and not to be afraid of hierarchy at all. Mm. Um, it is important to make sure that you've traveled enough that you've got at least one or two good stories behind you. And it's important to get chased by a tiger occasionally. Or a helicopter, or you know, or, or, or have a breakdown in the middle of a jungle, or you know, or have to rescue, you know, or like, or, and and definitely try. I mean, I'm not saying go out and jump off a cliff or anything, but I mean, that little feel. There's a difference between that little part in your head that feels sad and goes, "I don't want to be here." Listen to that, because you're not going to lose by stay by leaving a job that you hate. You're mm -hmm. never going. Because no one, I've never heard anyone, I mean, throughout this entire conversation, we've keep going back to it, but I've never heard anybody sit there and say, I hate my job, but I'm glad I'm in it. Nobody. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I well, love my 
Besides the money. My job. But I adore it. It's a great job. But, you know, like I wish that I had a more solid background to it, you know, more solid contract because I'd love to keep doing my job. To summarize for what, what I would advise anybody that's in the early 20s as a 30 year old, it's dumb. You're young. Do what you do. What, um, what's right for you? Do um, what you like doing. Don't, um, there's no. I know, like we, you leave uni, you leave education, and you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna do get stuck gaps thing, and I'm just gonna take this job for a little while to get a bit of money, and then I'm gonna do what I really want to do. Just go for what you want to do because you do that temp thing, and it ends up going. You end up being there for years sometimes mm, in some yeah. situations and you end up then going off into a complete different thing you never wanted to do that you don't really have any interest in doing so i just say if, if you're that young just going to do what you want to do just put put all your effort in that i heard somebody say um about having you know what people talk about you need to have a plan b to have that mm. thing where you need you need to have a plan b some people i had somebody talk about it recently a celebrity who said no i don't have a plan b because having a plan b suggests that you're not putting all your effort into your plan A. So put all your effort, just have a plan A, put all your effort into yeah. plan A. And then if, hold on, hold on. If, if plan A fails, come up with a new plan A and put all your efforts into that. There's no, like, if you're there, like, I'm just going to put a bit of effort here, put a bit of effort here and put a bit of effort here. You just end up with like a half-assed results. You end yeah. up doing stuff you don't want to do. It doesn't hurt to have a backup if you yeah. really feel lost. But, and also yeah. it doesn't hurt to have two options if you yeah. feel lost, but make sure you've thought about everything you do. Yeah. And yeah. also, and when I say think about it, I mean research, 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 research. Yeah. If you think that becoming a doctor is uh, gonna be good for you because you like the idea of being a doctor like I did when I was little, um, the reality is very different. And I think that I, I even did this this year, I applied to be an officer in the um, Air Force. They said no, because my personality is <laughs> not really fitting. Um, <laughs> It's like, you're going to be a good journalist. You're very charming. You know, she goes, you got a bit of charisma to you. And I, to be honest with you, best compliment of the year. She's like, you know, this proper officer and she was really respectable. She was like, I'm going to cut you straight. And I was like, she cut me right down. And I was like really insecure at the time because I didn't know what I wanted. And um, I passed with exams and stuff, but she goes, you know, you've got a lot of charisma to you. So you need to work with that, but you're not going to mm. work within the army because you don't know mm. shit. Anyway, I think that kind of wraps things up, doesn't it, Marlon? You, yeah. you good? Thank you, so, um, ladies and gentlemen, particularly Mr. Smith, um, we just want to say thank you very much um, for listening and um, we hope you enjoyed our thoughts. Um, my name's Les Steed. I'm Marlon White.